Ladies and gentlemen, hello and good to have you with me. I am Alex Afondi, the Acquisition Entrepreneur. Today, as I've announced to you, I have a very, very special guest. I have none other than Mr. Michael Dominguez. Michael Dominguez serves as the President and CEO for Associated Luxury Hotels International, Alhai. He also is actively involved in leadership roles in the meetings and events industry and currently serves as the immediate past chairman on the International Board of Directors for Meeting, International, for Meeting Professionals International. Michael speaks in the industry often on topics such as disruption, the state of the industry, the state of the economy, and behavioral lessons. Michael industry, re industry leadership involvement includes and is not limited to board positions with the following US Travel Association Meetings Mean Business Coalition, ASAE's Board of Directors, FICP's Influence Committee, APEX Standards Committee, to mention a few. And in terms of the awards that Michael received, Michael was recently recognized as the in the industry for numerous honors, including induction of the EIC's Hall of Leaders in 2019, HispanicBusiness.com's 50 Most Influential Hispanics in the U.S., Successful Meetings Top 25 Most Influential People in the Meetings Industry in 2013 and 14, Smart Meetings 2015 Smartest Industry Leaders, HSMA's MAI's 2014 Top Minds in Sales and Marketing. Indeed, I've Got to witness that myself, as you will in a moment. And meetings focused 2014 trendsetter. And last but not least, meetings net 2014 change makers. Michael Dominguez, I am so honored to have you with me, and I appreciate your accepting the invitation to be with me on this podcast. Yeah, well, truly my pleasure. And um, yeah, I always joke, all that means is that I'm never home and I work way too much. But <laughs> I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. That's great, man. I, I could see it, you know, and I, the way I got to meet, uh, actually attend one of Michael's presentation was at uh, Meeting Plan, Planners, Planners International uh, State of the Industry meeting recently, and he made an incredible presentation. Um, obviously, as we heard, uh, incredible resume, Michael, uh, well-decorated uh, past and certainly a future uh, tell us about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis in your current role. Sure. Um, you know, being, uh, being the uh, president and CEO of uh, Associated Luxury Hotels, we have 300 uh, hotels that are member hotels globally. Um, and we are an extension of their sales efforts, uh, specifically in the MICE market or the groups and meetings and conventions market. Um, we serve as a global sales arm for those hotels. So much of my time um, on a daily basis is um, helping to set strategic direction for um, our 90 plus employees uh, that are out there uh, representing these hotels. In addition to that, dealing with our 300 hotel members, which are our top stakeholders. And uh, we have a large customer audience. And with all that, uh, all of that experience and time committed in the industry, as you read, um, that has allowed me to have a large uh, network of meeting professionals uh, that, one, I'm involved in, two, I, I keep relationships with, and three, I continue to introduce them into our new hotel portfolio. Um, 
in addition to that, I'm heavily involved in the industry and on any given day uh, can be involved in either major industry issues or some of those boards and or uh, volunteer organizations that I'm a part of. So uh, my day is very diverse, uh, but it is all revolving around people. And um, those people are either our team members, uh, our hotel members, or our customers. Incredible. I appreciate that introduction. Now, <clears throat> I'd like to tackle the issue, as, as I've described uh, earlier when we talked. My audience wants to acquire businesses. Um, my audience sees a tremendous opportunity right now with the baby boomers retiring, uh, you know, and, and as you can, I'm sure, um, jump in a little bit, a lot of the baby boomers raise kids that are educated, so they're becoming doctors, they become lawyers, they have no interest in, you know, handling the day-to-day -day operation of a small business. However, my audience certainly is eager to handle the small business and, and grow it. And let me jump back 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 2018, you know, when we had the unfortunate crash, you know, I'd like to talk about the state of the economy and your prediction of the next 10 years. Yeah, well, you know what, I, I think it's, uh, it's hard to look at over the next 10 years economically, but over a short period of time, um, we, are, we are in a very interesting cycle right now, and this is the first time that I've heard... Uh, anybody uh, economically start talking for the U.S. specifically of a super cycle. Uh, and a super cycle has happened um, uh, many times in our past history, but it basically becomes a growth cycle that bypasses or skips what would be a natural correction or a natural uh, recession and or slowdown. Um, we have an opportunity to do that right now. The, this economy right now is the largest growing economy as far as GDP, it's the largest growing economy, positive growing economy we've seen in our history, ever. So it's in anybody's lifetime. Um, you're finding dynamics around the world that are very different, and I think what is important for any business owner, whether you're small or large, is to understand our global connectivity and what that looks like. But it's also important to have a separation to understand um, that as much as global Global can impact what is going to happen with investment and with markets. That 70% of the U.S. economy is still based on the consumer and based on a consumer spend and a, and a consumer effort. What we're finding right now and the reason we're very positive on what that economy could look like, uh, we've never seen this kind of employment. Job, job report that just came out this morning uh, showed job numbers once again beating expectations. Wage growth was at 3.1% last year. Reporting on the wage growth is telling you that that wage growth is coming out of non-supervisory roles, so our line employees. So you have people literally working more. Participation rate has grown uh, and grown quite substantially. So you have more people entering back into the workforce. Uh, we have more jobs than we have people, and wages are growing. That is a really positive sign for an economy that is based still on the consumer. And we don't see that, um, we don't see that slowing down over the next 24, 36 months. Uh, but you do see, of course, there's headwinds globally and global growth. It could have some impact in there, but if you look at where the U.S. stands right now, uh, we, are, we are really, really good footing, uh, at least uh, over the next 18 to 24 months. Excellent. I appreciate that, Michael. Michael, do you see, do you see I mean, is there such a thing as too good of an economy because oftentimes when I speak to small business owners, I'm always on the hunt for businesses. Uh, 
they say, you know, we just can't find enough talent. How, how has that impacted your industry and just the overall industry in the U.S.? Well, it, it's a problem everywhere, and it's every industry. Uh, in, the, in the hospitality industry or the service industry, uh, there's 800,000 jobs we cannot fill. And those jobs have been even more complicated because of what has happened with a cap on the H-1B visas. Uh, because much of our work at many of our resort-style hotels, uh, much of that work was seasonal, and it was brought in from other countries on the visa. Um, those visas not being available, uh, being complicated with a more complicated immigration reform that is needed, um, it, is, it has become problematic for all businesses. But I think it's important for people to start thinking very uh, creatively and understanding what does that look like and how do you start to look at filling roles, switching roles, and what you are seeing, and we talk about the gig economy quite often. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of, sorry? I said yes, I'm agreeing with you, gig economy. Yeah, yeah the, the gig economy is, I think what we forget about is you have a lot of freelancers. So you've got to get out of an old model that I'm saying, I'm going to go hire a full-time employee. Um, you will have people that say, well, how do I break up the work a little differently to know some of this is project work, which means I can take some of those freelancers, especially in the type of economy we live today, and find the freelancers that I know I can trust and turn on as needed, and then break up my work just a little bit differently. doesn't mean it saves you any money. It just means that for certain times, you're not going to have a full-time employee taking on all that work. We're, we're experiencing that right now, and I should say we're a small business as well. Okay. Um, but we're a small business, you're probably a little bit larger than some of your smaller businesses. Sure. But, but we're in the same boat right now. And we are looking at a lot of freelance work, specifically with certain aspects of the job that we have broken out and say, these are going to be task-oriented or they are going to be project-oriented. And I can have people outside of our normal workforce pick that up. Incredible. Uh, when I attended the meeting and you spoke of uh, the fact that if you're not moving fast enough or if you're not moving at all in in terms of advancement of your business and the technology, uh, you're doomed. You know, let's examine let's examine a couple of, you know, simple techno uh, simple businesses such as a say say mechanic shop or uh, you know, a small hotel, say a motel six, you know, what do they need to do to, to move fast enough to keep up with the uh, with the demand right now? Well, the, the interesting thing to me is that you have to be able to look at your business models and change the business model that has always been. And, and that requires a lot of work uh, and a lot of thought process. And I am not one to say to move fast and change for the sake of change. Make sure that you have a strategy. And I don't think many people have uh, sometimes taken enough time to talk about why am I doing what I'm doing and where do I want to go with it. And once you set the strategy, then you can start to look at, well, what processes do I currently have in place that are going to hold me back from getting to that, to getting to where I want to be with my new strategy? When you move forward without a strategy, I would say you're, you're playing chess without a strategy, and that's how you get your queen taken in three moves. Right. You, you, you've got to know exactly where you're headed. And, you know, Simon Sinek says it best is you start with why. Right. Why are you, why are you doing what you're doing? And then to me, the next thing is where. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? And once you figure those pieces out, then you start to understand how to look at your business. But I, I'm always I'm always one that keeps impressing on people. If you're doing anything, 
that has no meaning to any of your stakeholders, i.e. your team members or your customers, you're wasting your time. And I see too many business owners that put something in place that they're impressed with, but it has no real, no real relevance to their customer. So it is important to really open up, even no matter how big your business is, smaller businesses have an opportunity to talk to their customer. Oh, they yeah. have an opportunity to really find out what do you want, what do you need, what, what can I do better to serve you. And, and if there's anything I can say, you say a mechanic shop, so if there's anything I can say about any small business is, I, I, I say this often, we live in an on-demand society. I can get what I want, where I want it, and how I want it. You need to be able to create business offerings that allow me to customize what I want to do. Mm. And if I can't customize it, that's not the world I live in because I can customize any experience or anything I want to do in today's world. Yet, I have too many businesses that still say, here's how you're going to buy it. But that's not the world I live in. And, and probably the best example of that is, you know, in any room I'm asking this question today, more than half the hands go up when I ask, how many of you have cut cable? No longer have a cable bill. And literally, I am getting to half a room anytime I ask that. Three years ago, that was maybe five hands. And, and the reason I say that is we're living in a society that people are like, no, I'm not going to pay you a fee to get, you know, 500 channels when I only need 20. But I will buy a subscription to Hulu to get the 20 channels I want. And I will buy a subscription to Netflix to get the movies I want. And I will buy a subscription to Disney. But I'm not paying you, you know, $80 to have all these channels that I don't need. That, that is, and you're finding right now, that's a big business that is struggling because you have standard old cable companies that are trying to figure out, how do I fit in this new paradigm? Right. Because you have a consumer today that literally is going to buy the way they want to. Yeah. That's probably the best advice I could give small businesses. Find out what your customer really wants. And it doesn't matter if you think it's sexy or not. We, we sometimes get stuck in our own world and we forget that it's all about the customer and where are they headed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jeff Bezos says, I believe, be obsessed with the customer and what they want. And, and we say that, but we don't live it. And and I, you know, I will, I will ask businesses all the time. Said, you know, what's your greatest asset? Well, the the number one and number two is going to be, well, my team members for sure, and then number two is going to be, and you know, our loyal customers. Well, then my question is always, so tell me your time of your day and the time of your week reflects that that you're spending it with your team members and your customers. Or are you spending it running reports and thinking that's the important part of running a business? Right. You know, one of the reasons I still travel so much and, and I'm so heavily involved in the industry, I never want to lose touch with the customer. I want to hear firsthand where their pain points are and where they think we can help them. Face-to-face, -face, old school. You want to meet with them, have a coffee, and talk to them about their business. Well, you know what's the one thing that's never changed? People do business with people they know and trust. You bet. That has never changed. Sales so I, I, I'll ask any business owner, tell me your best customer, and then tell me what you know about them. Uh-huh. And, and if you don't know that they've been married for 20 years, they've got two kids, one of the kids is about to go to school, you don't know your customer. And, and the relationship has to be much further than just what, you know, just what they're coming in for. Yeah. And, and I look at... You, you said a mechanic shop. I think that's just brilliant. 
How many times have I taken a car in and I'm sitting in that I'm sitting in that little lobby waiting for my car, even if it's an oil change? Nobody ever comes to talk to me. No one talks to you, right? Yeah, I, I've noticed does. that too. Yeah, it, 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 you've got a captured audience to find out what's important to them. Why did you pick me? Why are you here? What else could we do? I am captured. I can't go anywhere. Yeah, I'm sitting by myself in that in that little lobby area. Right. Couldn't agree more. In terms of the strategy, you said the why, the strategy. You know, obviously, we're talking about a broad audience here with all kinds of businesses. Um, what mechanics, or I should say, what are the main mechanics? No, no, not referring to the mechanic shop. <laughs> what <laughs> what components would you make sure you impress upon the most? We talked about the customer. We talked about the team. What else? Uh, the other thing is I look at business process. And if you're going to be looking at moving forward and knowing that the dynamics are changing, what are you doing today? And, and I don't think this is something companies don't do enough of. Um, some people did this annually. I try to do this every 90 to 120 days. Um, let's go through an exercise of what are we going to stop doing that we're currently doing that doesn't have meaning anymore? What are we going to start doing that we should be doing that we're not? What are we going to continue doing that is actually working? And I added a fourth one to say, tell me every objection or friction point that our customer experiences doing business with us. Mm. You should be evaluating that every 90 to 120 days because as that happens, you need to start changing process. And what I do, where I do think too many organizations struggle, specifically small businesses, you're adding something new, you're adding a new program, we always ask, okay, if you're adding two new items, tell me what's the one thing you're going to stop doing. You cannot just add. You always have to, at some point, stop doing some things that just don't have any relevance. Right. And that's a hard thing to do. It is against our nature, but we have to start doing it. That's incredible. In, in terms of the, uh, if we can kind of change gears to the to the business business philosophy you know acquiring a business requires money resources uh, a, a good amount of opportunity cost you know especially people who are leaving professional careers to buy a business right I've spoken to some people who've bought uh, you know hair salons and, and manufacturing facilities and so on and so forth but talk to me about you know and that takes guts if I can ask you can you Run me through that philosophy and how can someone stay motivated on their course in your perspective? Well, you know, the one thing you have to do is uh, I think it's important for my motivation personally is we always talk about you need to study and learn from people that are outside your industry. Where people get carpet into this car, uh, compartment and that we can't move forward is that strictly we start to look and talk to ourselves. And the greatest learnings you're going to find, the greatest, and this is where my energy and my enthusiasm comes for, comes from for change, is literally from looking at other people, other processes, and knowing that you see something and saying, okay, what application, if any, does that have to our business? What implication, if any, does that have to our industry? Um, that is something I don't think we, we look enough at. Mm -hmm. And and the one thing I try to explain to everybody, if you're really going to try to impact change and set course for your business, I would spend all your extra time you possibly could studying human behavior. 
we don't spend enough time talking about behavioral science, how people learn, how they grow, what their needs and wants are. And, and we do get stuck, and I do, I, I do say this often, uh, we get too much, you even said it earlier, you talked about the boomers. I always tell everybody, demographics do not matter today. Psychographic matters. Psychographic. Can you elaborate? It, yeah. Study the behavior, not the age. Okay. The age is not important. It's what behaviors are we picking up today. And what behaviors am I looking forward or looking for? Because we have generational shifts in, in our experiences today. And when I say that, I always tell people, that is generational, not generation specific. It is everybody living today is having to learn this. Because you'll hear about the millennials and you're like, oh, the millennials. And, and I always tell people, if you don't understand that there are older millennials and younger millennials, you don't understand the millennials. Sure. And the older millennials that are 28 to 39 years old that are now in the middle of their careers, all the research is telling us they are behaving like every generation before them, period. There is no exception, period. And the interesting part is I hear people say, well, they use technology more than anybody else. Who today does not use technology more than they did a decade ago? That, that is generational. That is not generation-specific. They just have to be, happen to be a large audience growing up in that. And what you're finding is, and you've heard this, because you, know, you may have some business owners that maybe they have mortgage companies. Maybe they're selling homes. You'll hear that the millennials weren't buying homes and they weren't getting married. We, we forget about context. The millennials were the largest generation to come out of school during the greatest recession we've seen since the Great Depression. Including myself. I graduated in 2008. There you go. So why were you living with mom and dad? Because you had huge college debt and you had no job. And what was happening when you came out of school? There were no jobs. Everybody was shaving jobs. They weren't adding jobs. Oh, yeah. So you have a generation that what we're finding right now, six to seven years later than any generation besides them, they are buying homes, getting married, and having kids. They're doing what every generation did before them. They're doing it later. I don't think that was generationally intended. I think it was situationally impacted because of the genera- or the time frame that they all came out of school. Coming out of school during the worst economic uh, downturn we've seen in four years. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's the shift. And I think we overthink things. Because of that, we're like, look at how different the millennials are. Well, guess what? Now that they're in their careers and they're having jobs and they have steady income flow coming in, they're starting to behave like everybody else. Sure. And, and that's where I'm talking about, but you even mentioned the boomers. You know what we know about the boomers? They're not retiring. They, they have redefined what work looks like. Boomers don't retire at 62 today. Mm. We have boomers, and even if they retire, they don't retire. They're doing consulting. They're doing something. They are the generation, and I joke, they are the generation that just won't go away. And I don't mean that as a negative. It right. means they have redefined everything about what retirement looks like and what's going to happen after retirement. And I think something we don't talk about enough, and I'm a small business owner, I will tell you that we live in an experiential environment today. How do you make everything you're doing a very cool experience? It doesn't even matter. You mentioned the mechanic shop. How do you make that that stay at a mechanic store while you're getting your oil changed the coolest thing you've ever had and the coolest thing you've ever done? How do you change the experience around it? And I say that because we live in an experienced society. People will pay for experience. And what I think is probably most telling is when you think about that, 
the boomers were the birth of the 401k plan. At 70 years old, they have to. It's mandated by the government. They have to start pulling from the 401k plans. And what we do know is they've always been the generation of stuff. So what are they going to spend it on? They have all the stuff they want. They're going to spend it on experiences. Experiences. That's it. They will spend on travel and experiences and a combination of the two. So how do you tie that together? Because that's the generation we're looking at. And, and that is a, that's a very different shift because, and it's all generational. When I say it's generational, everybody living today, it's about experiences. We pay for experiences. Oh, you that's bet. Why we go, that's why we go to concerts. That's why we go to music festivals. That's why we go to live events because it's experiential. It's what we, we live for today. So speaking of that, do you think social media and the desire to, to be seen has influenced the, ex, the experiential aspect of, of, our, of our economy more than it, than it did 20 years ago? I mean, now, nowadays, let me put some context to this. Nowadays, I see people going to places, going on hikes, doing things almost just because they want to post a picture of it on the, on the Internet. Well, you, you know what's funny? I, when I say we overthink it, um, I don't think they're doing that because they want to post a picture on the internet. I mean, like, there's some people that, yeah. Sure. You can even see people got, got hurt because they're trying to post something. And <laughs> they, it's kind of they're living in what they're doing on social media. Right. But that, that's just a form of media. Um, but in most cases, when you're talking about it, people are documenting what they're doing. And we find that that's such a big shift. What is shift is the technology and the ease of it. What hasn't shifted is our behavior, because as long as I've traveled, I mean, I used to come back from a trip, and I'm having to take four rolls of 35-millimeter film to go get, you know, actually process the Developed, water. yeah. Well, why did I take five rolls of pictures? Because we've always taken pictures. Yeah. Because we're documenting what we're doing. Um, what's changed is how easily we can do that today. Uh, but I, I laugh because people say, look at these kids, they're always posting on Instagram, and I'm like, okay, and then you went to your mom's house and you pulled out eight photo albums. It, yeah. it, it's just a different way to categorize and store, and it's much more effective, by the way, you know, to store pictures because the technology has changed. But I always go back to what I just said earlier, Alex, is that the behavior did change. The behavior is the same behavior, but change is how we actually document that behavior. That's why I say we overthink it at times. It's the it's the uh, analysis behind it, right? Because yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, even the adults. It's interesting you say that because even the adults that you know make fun of the the younger generation that does it, they do it too. I see them on Facebook all the time. My my friends who are in their sixties and seventies, they still do it. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I think you know when they talk, you hear people talk about social media and sometimes how it disconnects us, and you know, we, we're not we're, we're we're too tied into non-personal. I see the opposite. I see my grandkids when, or my kids when they come and spend time with my mom and they're going through Snapchat filters that are all silly and they're <laughs> laughing and doing it together. And they're like, hey, Grandma, get in here. And they're doing it. And you hear my mom laughing with the girls and they're just having a ball playing around with social media and some of that aspect. How is that separating people? It's bringing them together, and it's just utilizing some different technology. That's what I mean. I think we overthink it. 
Um, there is that ability, and people just have to get better to not get trapped in technology and to remember that human action is, or human interaction is real positive. But when everybody overstates it and overthinks it, I will say there's a reason that festivals have you know, literally quadrupled in the last decade, why attendance continues to grow at festivals, why attendance continues to grow at live events, because these kids that everybody says doesn't want, they don't want to talk to anybody, they want a live experience and they're going to do it with other people. Mm. They don't go by themselves. They take friends. They go do all of that. I, I just think it's so overthought and overstated. It's just, it's just not accurate on where we are. So the need, the need to be out there, the need to be around people, the need to be, you know, touched and looked at and, and, and uh, admired or otherwise socializing with somebody else, that's, that's been there ever since we existed. It's always been there. You know, the only thing that's changed is how we get there and the accessibility of it all. But it's always been there. So talk to me about business and social media, small, big, large, whatever it is. How has social media helped businesses, and what can a someone who wants to acquire a business from a from a retiring owner? Because I see that a lot. You know, I speak to these owners. They don't have. I mean, they have email, but they don't have social media page. You know, maybe by, for lack of a better term, by dumb luck, they have a Google page, but otherwise, they have no presence. Can a small business benefit? immensely from social media and how tremendously um you know that everything as i said earlier is uh, make sure you have a strategy um you don't have to be a social media expert and it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg there are companies that do this for you and they do it for small and and the idea is your ability to communicate to your uh your customer is what media really helps deliver and, and, and social media helps deliver. It's keeping the connectivity. It's growing a community. Uh, it allows people to connect. Like I am huge on social media, and and I have a very large following and large audience all within my business community. And the the issue is, or not the issue, but the opportunity there is, it connects you with people. And if you're a small business specifically. How do you, people always want to belong to something. How do you let people feel like they're part of your community? They're part of who you are. They're part of your business. It becomes very personal. Those are the opportunities. And what's interesting is any small business markets, they've always done marketing, whether it's direct mail or whether it's flyers or whether it's an ad in newspaper. Social media is just that avenue because nobody's reading the newspaper today. Mm. So, so how do you build your community online so that people can see and be a part of what you want to do? Um, that is what is the shift. And when I say we overthink it, that's that's what we're overthinking. You know, it's, okay, if I don't have people looking at newspaper ads, how do I make sure that they're that I'm still getting to an audience? Well, where are their eyeballs today? Online and on social media. No doubt, no so, doubt. And, you know... And there are companies that do this for you. I will say you're not having to do that alone. Right. You know, also in terms of my, my personal experience when I was going for my first acquisition, I posted something on Facebook and an old college buddy of mine, haven't, he's, he's my Facebook friend, but I, ha, I hadn't seen him for 12 years because he moved out of the country. He goes, hey, what are you up to nowadays? And, you know, we... We touched base, and he actually ended up investing a, a good amount of money in the company, literally off of one social media post, because he was intrigued by what I posted. <laughs> you 
know, it's, it's so true. I've connected with so many people. I have customers that talk to me through social media. It's how they communicate. It's how they ask questions. They need my help. That's where it's going through. And it's just, again, it's just a communication tool. Mm. It's a marketing tool if you use it accurately. And that, that's what I mean by overthinking it. And, you know, we, we forget about the social aspect of technology. And I, I always tell the story, and I get a kick out of it, is my son got his first job through eSports. And, you know, he's, he's a gamer, and he literally, when you, you watch people that eat game, I mean, they, they've got the headset on. They're connected with people around the country oh, and sure. around the world playing a game. And my son had graduated from school. He, uh, he had wanted to be a teacher. Uh, he's playing a game with some guy that lives uh, literally outside of Dallas. And wow. They're, and they're talking while they play, and he's like, hey, you know, we're hiring a PE coach here, and... Uh, my, my son had studied kinesiology and wanted to get into coaching, and all of a sudden, uh, there he is. He's teaching at a charter school outside of Texas uh, just because he met somebody online playing a game. That's incredible. So it's a very powerful tool. Um, you mentioned um, you know companies that do it. Uh, are we talking just mar media marketing companies and social media companies that charge you a monthly fee for such services? Yes. Yes, there's plenty. There's plenty out there. I would I would research. And the funny thing is, um, if you're a small business owner, I would ask other small businesses who they use and what they do, especially the ones that you might be impressed with. Oh sure. Um, that, that actually have a really good, you know, really good following. There are all kinds of, and that went back to what I said earlier. There are all kinds of freelancers that will do this for you. Right. And and they know how to do it. They know what they're look, they're looking for. And they can actually put together a strategy. And the only thing I would I would caution is if anybody says they're going to do that work for you, but they don't have a full content strategy for you, you need to find somebody who can give that to you. A full content a, strategy. Yeah, there needs to be a content strategy to say, what am I going to communicate? What message am I trying to deliver? And candidly, what am I trying to produce out of it? Right. What, what is the objective? Right. And if you have people to give you a plan without all of that, you need to find somebody who will. Okay. Because <laughs> you need a strategic... Uh, social media approach. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is this has been so um, You know, I, I suppose words of advice for someone who hasn't done it before. You know, should they get a mentor? Can you talk about mentorship? Do you have mentors? Do you mentor people? You know, uh, I'm a personal. I mean, I'm a huge believer in mentorship. What's your take on it? Uh, without a doubt, like you, you know, you're. Uh, you have CEOs, COOs of major S&P 500 companies that have executive coaches. Everybody needs not only a mentor, some of you need to invest in a coach. Some of the people that own a business need to have an executive coach. And they're out there. They're people that are well-experienced in business and can help guide you. Um, you need people that are going to be a truth teller uh, because you need people that are going to be very uh, straightforward with you tell you you're doing the wrong things mm -hmm. and um we all need them we all have executive coaches and i you know i always relate it to sports tiger woods is you know arguably the greatest golfer to ever pick up a club and yet he's always had a swing coach but oh, yet sure. he's the greatest golfer out there but he has a swing coach he had somebody instructing him on his swing to tell him where he's not doing it right what he needs to work on and what he needs to why would we think that if every athlete, every NBA team has a shooting coach that teaches these great basketball players that know how to shoot, how to shoot better? Oh, yeah. um, 
you know, I always joke, LeBron James wasn't a good three-point shooter earlier in his career, but he is today. And there are coaches that work on different shots so that you continue to get better. To not understand that you have to take those same lessons um, into your business is what most small business leaders miss. Mm -hmm. You need a coach, a mentor, whatever you're going to call that. You need somebody to help you to continue to refine it. And, and I can pick any sport. You know, you go to baseball, there's a batting coach. There's, it's a swing coach. Somebody is actually showing you and working with your swing to make sure swing, your swing is appropriate. It, it, if every sport, and it doesn't matter that you're one of the top athletes in the world, if every sport has those type of coaches, why wouldn't you expect to have the same type of thing for your business? For business, despite the industry. Would you focus on getting a uh, an industry-specific coach or general business coach? It depends on where you are. I, I don't think that's a, that's a yes or no answer. Okay. Um, because I, I think it literally is, if you're more mature in your business and you're stable, but you want to now grow and you want to move it, I would look at somebody maybe outside the industry. Okay. But if, but if you were building and ramping up and you're a little more... Uh, infant in where you are in the cycle, uh, you may actually want to bring somebody in that knows your business because you're trying to get it established. Um, I think it's it's not a it's not a one answer. It, it has to be where are you in your cycle, and you having enough understanding and recognition that there is a cycle. No doubt, I appreciate that. Uh, two more questions. One is deep, and that is talk to me about. Your perspective on failure, right? <laughs> Without a doubt. Like, um, I, I do leadership sessions. The reason I'm laughing is um, when I do my leadership sessions, and it, it's been my own quote for a long time, but um, I, I, people hear me say often, look, failure is part of the process. And, and you have to understand that, that uh, everything that you do is not going to work uh, you not trying or worrying or slowing down. One of the reasons businesses don't move fast enough is because they are too worried about failure. And you need to know that you'd rather swing and miss than literally not try. Right. And, and, and that, is, that is hard for some leaders because they just don't understand that failure is part of it. Being vulnerable today is part of it. Um, knowing it doesn't always work is part of it. Um, you know, I, I joke about... A, somebody in baseball that's going to get elected into the Hall of Fame has a 300 batting average. It means they miss seven, seven out of ten swings. But they're still going into the Hall of Fame. Oh, sure. Um, we, we tend to forget that. It's, it's about not swinging uh, that is the problem. And there's a, there's a poster behind my bed, and it's a, it's a framed uh, piece that I've had now for literally 15 years. And it was an old Nike ad. And it's, um, it's kind of a hard image to really see, but it's Michael Jordan. And, and then it has this little strip of, you know, some highlights of Michael Jordan. And the wording is hard to see, but what stands out really big letters is, I failed, I succeed. And, and the message is really simple. He says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and I've missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and this is why I succeed. That's incredible. I'm impressed you have it memorized. Yeah, it is. It is sat behind my desk literally uh, for for now. It's almost been 18 years. Wow. But it has deep meaning uh, to me because it reminds me that 
you know, Michael's known and, and thought of as the greatest of the game, and yet he'll tell you, we all remember the big shots he's hit. We forget all the shots he missed. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so failure, overcome it by swinging, take the shot. Uh, what about fear? <laughs> well, that you can't go a little deeper. Yeah, 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 like the most crippling, uh, the most crippling aspect of progress and innovation and speed is fear. And you have to understand that you only have fear if you're concerned with what people think. Um, you take risk. You take educated risk. If you've spent your time putting together a good strategy. If you've spent your time in really good thought to understand what are the what are the upsides and downsides of what you're about to do, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's either going to work or not, and your assumptions could have been all wrong, which means it won't work. But the only thing you should be ever afraid of is not preparing and not planning. You should never be uh, fearful of executing and knowing that something may not work. Is there such a thing as a fear of success? Um, I don't think there's a fear of success. I, I do believe um, there is there is a risk of success. I don't classify that as fear. The risk of success to me is that people get complacent and they start to read their own press. Okay. And and you know I, you'll hear me relate to sports often because I say I always say sports kind of emulate life, and they traditionally specifically emulate business environments. Well. The problem with success is when people get complacent, uh, you don't continue to change and grow. And you know there, there's a reason that um, you, you have teams that you know you'll hear it, they'll make the Super Bowl and they may never get there again, or they may not get there again for you know a decade. Oh my God! Yeah, um, look at the Chiefs, right? Weren't they a team? Fifty that, years. Fifty years. years. So that's Imagine kind that. of the point is that, you know, you can get complacent at times and the Chiefs weren't about being successful and complacent. The point is that there's a reason you're not always going to win and you always have to be moving. You always have to be changing even if you're very successful. Um, because I, I think probably the most important thing to know is that the world's moving fast enough that what you're doing today may not work tomorrow and um, definitely won't work six months from now. And you'll have to continue to tweak and make adjustments. So it is the only thing that's ever going to be constant is change. Change is constant. Um, Michael Dominguez, I can't thank you enough for being with me on this podcast. One last question, and I want to just utilize this this experience being on the phone with you or on, on the podcast with you. Last word of advice for an 18-year-old. For an 18-year-old. Someone who just <laughs> wants to, to go about business, about life, conquer the world. Um, what's, what's your advice? I, you know, the one thing I, I tell people, and I speak to a lot of, um, I do speak to a lot of universities, and there's a couple of pieces that I give them in, in this order. First and foremost, get over yourself. And I actually say that to executive leaders as well, not just kids. <laughs> But I, I think it's important that in today's world, the people that succeed approach the world with a very uh, humble outlook on life. Yeah. Uh, if you have young people that want to be leaders down the road, that's very different than managing people. But if you want to lead and you want to impact people, you need to understand that today's world is about servant leadership. 
and it's about wanting to serve others. And I worked with somebody that had a brilliant quote about if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And, and that is the world we're living in today. And I think it's important for kids to try to understand that you need experience and you need a job. And you need to gain experience. And every, every job you have is you gaining experience. How to work with others, how to fit into an environment, how to work with a team. You need to continue to work that way. And when I take it over yourself, the biggest message I try to uh, really deliver with people is nobody owes you anything. And candidly, nobody cares. Nobody cares how hard your journey was. Nobody cares how easy your journey was. All they care about is how are you going to help my business? How are you going to help us grow? And what can you contribute? So whatever chip somebody may have on their shoulder, they need to get it off of it because all that that's going to do is hold them back because nobody really cares. No one really cares, yeah. Bronx Tale, 1993. Remember that movie? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's a great movie and you know the guy says nobody cares and I, I appreciate you saying that okay um, Michael I, I, I can't thank you enough for this time I, I sincerely enjoyed it and I'm sure my audience will uh, benefit from it tremendously from a macro scale that is the economy to the micro scale of just the, the pieces of advice that you've given uh, I, I appreciate it and look I, I appreciated the invite um, it's something I'm always passionate about so uh, thank you for the opportunity thank you sir appreciate your time alright you have a good one you too take care bye bye